Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Excel Radio's Ask the Expert. Brought to you by Beckshot Photography and Video. It's your story. Make it awesome. For more information, go to Beckshot.com. Now, here's your host. Good morning, everybody, and boy, do we have a fun one for you today. Oh, yeah. Hi, Stone. Hi, Robert. Hi. Good morning, sir. It's a gorgeous day, and this room is full of, what do we say, rifles, knives, testosterone, High warrior impact. spirit. High impact. Robert, also. introduce our guest today. Cam, owner of Lansing Tactical Rifles. So I shoot his rifles, and they are the best uh, gas guns on the market. Um, makes a bad shooter like me uh, better, and... Edgar, he's got uh, OSS, Osprey Shooting Solutions. I shoot with Edgar and not very well, so I'm usually getting yelled at by Edgar in different languages, so it works well. But both of these guys, high-energy guys, very successful at what they do. Super proud to have them both on the air today. Well, I guess the first question up then for both of you guys is, you teach Robert and make him better with his gear? How, how does that work out? <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, I'll just provide the gears. <laughs> yeah. The best so, guns. So let's start with Cam. Tell us about Lansing, about what you guys do, what you build. Tell me about your company and what you've got going on. Uh, we're, um, well, it's, in Laos, it's pronounced Lansang. Lansang. Yeah. So Lansang sounds more Chinese. <laughs> we wouldn't want that. <laughs> we, um, we're an AR platform, gas rifle manufacturer out, right outside of Atlanta. You know, I mean, Robert's one of our customers, our <clears throat> and we have the um, the CAD SWAT teams and you know, a few of the SWAT teams in the metro area that carries our rifle. I guess you've got a broad variety of calibers all built on the AR system? Yes, yeah, so anything from yeah. buff, 556, 223, to up to uh, 260, 762, 6.5 Creed, 300 blackouts. Right, so you got the sexy ones too? That we do. Yeah. And we, of course we have the uh, CAS 22, which is a uh, DMR, 18-inch um, barrel. Five five six. That is so far. I think it's been uh, tested out in Texas and has um, been reaching out and touching somebody at about fourteen hundred yards with a five five six. That works. So, so how long you been uh, been there? Where where are you located? Uh, we're right outside of Conyers. Okay. And how long you been in business? Machine shops, uh, twenty four years. Rifle side, uh, seven years. Seven years. And you guys have won some competitions, I hear. That we did, yeah. Uh, some of your rifles, yeah. The, uh, tw the I believe it's twenty seventeen mammoth. Uh, no, it's the uh, twenty seventeen was on uh, the History Channel, uh, the uh, U.S. Army International Sniper Comp. Uh, you know that uh, the uh, the three seventy five Ranger team that uh, took our rifle to the competition. They took down first place that year. Now, how did you get into this business? Are you military background yourself, or no, nope. no? So, uh, what, what drew you to this? I own a machine shop for 24 years, mm -hmm. and we're, we're good at making parts. And we figure, well, hey, let's we, we, we can build a better rifle or produce a better rifle than what's out there just by controlling the quality and the fit and finish off the parts we, we put in it. So if I said uh, <clears throat> I was looking at buying a, an AR pattern rifle and I was thinking about a Wyndham, what would you say? How, how do you differentiate yourself from somebody like that? We're not even going to talk about the Bushmasters and stuff. Well, hey, it all depends on your budget and what you're looking for. 
know, you can take a win out there. You can you can hit, uh, potentially hit a target with it, but or but that's not who you know we're trying to emulate. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, AR platform has been around for generations, and we just want to build something better. You know, kind of improve on what's what's out there already. <coughs> okay, Edgar. Yes, sir. Tell me about your school and what you guys do. Okay. Uh, so I own Osprey Shooting Solutions and Southern Ornithological League. So it may seem weird that I have a bird-watching website. Birds, birds. However, uh, that's just a cover page. Uh, anyway, yep, I've been – so I retired in 2020. Uh, after now, retired from? After 25 years in the Army. Okay. Yep. And I retired in 2020. Army. But I ran, uh, I started Osprey Shooting Solutions in 2017 in Colorado. It was my side hustle. I knew what I wanted to do when I retired. So my, my son, uh, was my number one guy and we, we started doing it sort of part time out of other ranges, like indoor ranges around and, uh, Pikes Peak community, or sorry, Pikes Peak Gun Club. We did a lot of courses out of there, um, stuff like that. Wasn't sure if we were going to move back to Georgia or stay in Colorado. Um, anyway, the decision was made. We moved back to Georgia in 2020. November, I think, is when we, we got here and got our house. By May of 21, I think I had my range built. It's a small range. It's the starter range. Yeah. And, uh, and we've been going on that one since then. Uh, but now it's time to grow a little bit, so we're actively looking for a bigger, bigger spot, mm-hmm. bigger land to build a twenty-acre <clears throat> proper range complex. And then Southern Ornithological League is uh, my my little, I want to say a pet project, but it's everything other than firearms training. We do land nav. I got a long range evasion course. We just this weekend finished up with a search and rescue mountaineer course. <clears throat> we got a couple other little. Maybe lock picking course and and some other stuff like that. Um, some hands on so stuff. It's a, it's a more select crowd. Everybody who's a member of the Southern Ornithological League is some, someone I know. Yeah, you know, I know them personally or have trained with them, and we know you know know their background and stuff like that. So you have a, a varied and wide range of capabilities on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I learned. I had that luxury of learning a lot of weird stuff in my career. So <clears throat> a lot of it is transferable to civilian life. Uh, just for, if not for fun, but practical skill. Pursuit driving? Yep. Awesome. Yep. Done some good driving awesome. stuff. Um, I don't do that. I mean, sounds I like the only thing you don't do is, you know, speedboats, assault craft. Well, there, there's a boat in the works, man. <laughs> we're look, we're if only there. you knew somebody that could do that. Yeah, we know somebody that could do that for you. <laughs> we're looking for a 16 foot rubber, uh, uh, rubber boat right now. Cool. So, uh, <laughs> so some of your, Tell me about the range. What what kind of capability do you have? No, right it's a it's minimal, man. It's small. It's a probably about we can reach out to about seventy yards, but all the courses I teach, well, most of the courses I teach are action oriented, like uh, USPSA or IDPA type stuff or mm-hmm. tactical, if you will. Uh, focuses more on gun handling and stuff. So the range is about thirty five yards, and everything is kind of within that. Um, a lot of moving and shooting and that kind of thing. But I also do new shooters and private lessons. And you have moving things. moving targets, automation, I do. Like no. That. Oh, man. No way. No. I'm not even close to that yet. Okay. That's some high-dollar stuff right yeah. there. Uh, but you don't need that, man. Uh, the skill 
it's not the gun, right? You could have the most awesome rifle, but if you can't shoot it. <laughs> so uh, I stress fundamentals in, in, in everything we do. I, I don't even call it any of my courses advanced or basic. I, I call them practical and dynamic because there's not really anything such thing as advanced shooting. It's just application of fundamentals. So that's what we stress out there. Yep. And comfort. Uh, realism as far as the way you carry your gun. Most of the guys that come out aren't all kitted up and stuff. And I do train cops, and I still train military and law enforcement like traveling. But I'm, I'm getting real tired of traveling. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> One of my friends was a recon marine. He used to travel for Colt, and, uh, but he, he enjoyed the traveling. <clears throat> he wouldn't let him fly him anywhere because he wanted to drive. And so he'd load up his Suburban with all the stuff that he had to do for those courses. And he'd take, you know, five days to get somewhere and just enjoy the trip and see everything he wanted to see on the way. Yeah, that's for him, good. that was a good lifestyle, you know, but I guess that's not for everybody. No. The last trip we did, uh, my partner and me drove to El Paso and back. And that was, that was it. <laughs> everything. Well, one of the worst drives yeah. you can make. We're flying. 17, 18 hours. <laughs> oh, it was horrible, Just man. never changes. From, and, uh, and we're from both, San Antonio to El Paso, and that's we, like a half the trip and there's nothing <laughs> yeah. there. Like, yeah, once you get to Texas, you feel like now um, – like you've only driven about one eighth of the way, That's right? <laughs> because you have. Uh, it's crazy, but uh, we both feel like we're hard guys, bro. We were we were broke down on that one. We both looked at each other like never again. <laughs> was it summer? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, so man. had the heat too. <laughs> yeah, and you know El Paso in the summer about Fort, Fort Davis, El Paso, outside. that yeah. area in the summer. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> uh, Robert, you've taken some courses. For, you you use. Lonsong rifles. Yep. And you've taken some courses from yep. Edgar, yeah? Yeah. So the benefit for me using uh, Lonsong's uh, rifle, <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll butcher that if I try to say it the way Cam just said. Call it, you call it Big yeah. L if you yeah, want to. Yeah, just Lanzang, dang it. Um, the beauty <laughs> that, that, of. Every person I've heard say it until today has said it that way. Right. I mean, it's just the way it sounds, it's the way it looks. What do we know, right? We don't, what do we, we don't know what we don't know, right? Yeah. So the beauty about shooting. Um, the light 42 uh, from Lanzang on some of Edgar's uh, uh, practical shooting classes is um, the dang rifle just shoots so flat and it's so easy to pull that trigger and that there's not a lot of movement because it's made so well. And the thing that Edgar is so passionate about is small targets. You know, you got to focus in and you got to shoot at something really small and you've got to be wired in, and golly, I've been yelled at so many times by Edgar. I mean, I, I go home. That's and a lot of yelling. My yell. wife is just like, well, you know, how many times did Edgar slap you? And I'm like, oh, half a dozen. God, it's getting embarrassing. But he, but he deserves it so well. Yeah. Single time. Last summer we were out there, Edgar, and it was about 107. And it's a gravel, it's a gravel pit uh, where his uh, shooting range is. And we weren't stopping for water. And, you know, we're, we all think we're hard guys, right? And so Edgar's not going to stop and drink some water. I'm not going to stop and drink any water because that's just, you know, how dumb I am. And it, at one juncture, I said to Edgar, I said, um, I'm going to fall out, Edgar, if, if I don't drink some water. And Edgar's like, yeah, me too. I was like, well, what the hell are we waiting for? <laughs> By then, it was way too late, man. I just lost the plot. I couldn't even shoot the, the Lanzang rifle well after that, so. Was that, I think that, was that a match? Was that like a 
competition. No, it, was no a course? it was a course. Yeah, it was like that two gun course or something. And Squatch smacked me in the head. Yeah. He's like, dude, pay attention, <laughs> man. <sighs> Hydrate plentifully and often. Water's yeah. Yeah, it is. Water's for the weak. Yeah, that's what we were saying. <laughs> but we were both going for our coolers. Water. Water is your friend. Water that was gets you deal. where you're going to go. It provides yeah. cover and concealment. Oh, Water removes go. you from the tactical <laughs> environment. Water's great. Oh, man. Sink, um, of course, I'm talking about a different kind of water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Cam, you've got just an extraordinary backstory um, coming from from Asia. Why don't you get in a little bit of that on how it was coming to America, what prompted all of that? And, I mean, you know, you want to be an entrepreneur and you are. You're a successful businessman. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. Well, how much time we got? We got some time. We got some time. <laughs> I mean – I'm just like any other um, immigrants to the U.S. You know, from the '70s and '80s. We're a byproduct of the Communist War. You know, uh, <coughs> ever since I can remember, as, as a kid, you know, every three, four, five months, we would have to leave the village in the middle of the night because my dad's like, "Hey, uh, I was in town today, and somebody's asking about me. That's way too close. We got to go." So, ever since I was, you know. As far as I, I can remember, up until I was six years old, that's when my that's my dad said I had enough. We're gonna get out, so we tried to escape to, into Thailand. At six years old, we got in the boat and we're just paddling along the Mekong, pretending like and hey, we're just going upriver. And then as we go up, he keeps going further and further towards the middle. Of course, you know the uh, border patrol kind of figure out what's going on and start shooting up shooting at us. So at six years old I was grazed with a AK. Bleeding in the bottom of the boat. But yeah, they didn't stop shooting until we get probably halfway across the uh the Mekong River and the uh the Thai border patrol start shooting back then that's when the commies stopped shooting at us. So they wound up with somebody better to engage at that point. Yeah. Well, they, uh, on the Thai side, they had ARs. So, yeah. Um, you know, for uh, two years, we were stuck in a shithole refugee camp in Thailand. Mm. You know, buying our time, waiting, up, waiting for our names to be called. You know, if, uh, if we chose to go to France, Australia, or anywhere else, we'd been out at refugee camp within six months. But my dad wanted to come to the U.S., so we waited two years. Wow. So we finally made it to the U.S. in 1980. Yeah, and what I keep telling everybody is like, well, you know what? If I can make it in, in this life, anybody can. Because the first English teacher I ever had was watching Scooby-Doo and Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> so those were my English teacher at, in the refugee camp. So coming to the U.S., pretty much didn't know a lick of English. You know, what, what you learned from Scooby-Doo wasn't it. Yeah. So, and you know, and we were here since 1980, October 1980. I didn't know what um, Halloween is, and you know, a bunch of kids come knocking on the door like, dressed up as ghouls and goblins. Yeah. <laughs> What's this? What kind of nightmare is this? Where did you guys land when you got here? Uh, we were sponsored by a Catholic church. That's the only way that we were at uh, any refugee were that. We're able to come to the U.S. We had to be sponsored and uh, get assimilated into U.S. culture and society 
by these church groups. So our, our family was sponsored by a Catholic church in Cedar Falls, Iowa. A culture shock. I bet it yeah. was. Started out second grade, don't know a lick of English, and I'm looking around, who are these people? Then, you know, about 82, we moved down to Georgia, and we've been here ever since. The whole family came? Yeah. 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 Um, we moved down here just because my dad couldn't find a job in Iowa. One, because he didn't speak English. You know, uh, he would take me to job interviews, and I, at eight years old, I was the translator. So, they're, you know, they look at him a little weird. It's like, why, why is this kid talking for you? <laughs> and, and what did your dad do? Um, well, when we moved down here, he... he he found a job as doing landscaping work and working at nursery farms and, you know, pretty much manual labor. And, you know, he was able to feed the family and, you know, uh, he was too proud to um, take handouts, you know, the welfare, food stamp. He's like, no, we're, we didn't, we didn't come all the way to America for that. So he took two jobs. He worked, you know, during the day, he worked at nursery farm landscaping. And at night, he works at a brick plant. So two jobs within uh, two years, we moved to Georgia. He was able to buy us a house. Yeah. And the first house we ever bought, he ever bought was in Jonesboro, Georgia, in the hood. But it was a house. Yeah. So. And so, and you became a machinist. What drew you to that? How'd you, how'd that go? Uh, well, I was working at a machine shop since I was 12. You know, uh, back then, CNC machines didn't have the auger, didn't have the, everything else to push automated chips out of the, uh, the back of the machines. I was only one small enough, skinny enough that when they shut the machine down, I can crawl in the back, scoop all the chips out, clean everything out, then they start the machines again. Wow. That was my job. I was sweeping floors and uh, clean out the, uh, the metal chips in the machines. And ever since 12, I've been off and on working machine shops, landscaping. That's all, that's all I knew. That's what I grew up with. Now you said about seven years ago. You decided you could make a better rifle. Yeah. How? Why? Like, oh. like what, what drove you to that? Yeah, well, throughout the years, I owned different rifles and different pistols, and there was just something I didn't, just didn't like about the feel, the fit, and the finish. And, of course, you know, uh, Cousin Ponce works at a shop with me. He's a, he's a Navy man. Uh-oh. Good for him. <laughs> All the uh, best people are. But, you know, he's a— uh, <laughs> Sorry, Edgar. We, we always talked about it, and like, well, you know what? Let's let's see if we can get our FFL, and we can make the parts and put it together, and just do some testings. And that's when Travis came came on board. Uh, Travis was introduced to my uh, to my to me by uh, Christian Stevens. Yeah, you know, the, and you know, so Stevens a uh, an airborne ranger, and then, of course uh, Travis is yeah, the three seventy five guy. So. Brought Travis on board, and I'm like, hey, I want to build some rifles, but I don't want a Colt. I don't want a Anderson. I want to build something better. So, pick Travis' brain and say, hey, when you were out there in the desert, if you could have access to any rifle that you ever wanted, if you could build your own versus what the government gave you, what would you want? So we we built everything around that, and. Yeah, well, and of course, the, um, the 375 down in Benning did some of the testing for it. And government ammo, or taxpayer ammo. 
Right. So we uh, we spent a year. That's an important distinction. I like the way you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, taxpayer. <clears throat> so we we spent about a year on R and D and testing, and until we uh, the, the prototype seven six two was taken up to uh, use a sock, and the the guys that took the rifle up there for the competition, first time they ever compete, taking a uh, prototype rifle up there. We didn't know how it was, how well it would do, but. They came. They came away taking third place. We're like, okay, maybe, maybe our, our rifle's uh, almost there. It's getting there, and then that's, that's that's how I got started. Awesome, awesome, Edgar. Your your career is interesting. Tell us about where you're from and and oh, what man. you what you're about. All right, the short story on a youth. I, I was in trouble. You know, just wild and crazy youth. That's it. I was in trouble a little bit. No siblings or anything. You know, so I just kind of ran into my own thing. Uh, I wanted to join the army. I, I knew I was going to join the army because I was kind of like a GI Joe kid. You know what I mean? Like playing the war and all that stuff as a youth. Uh, I went in the army when I was a teenager out of high school. So I'm colorblind. A lot of people don't know, and that precludes you, as you know, from doing a lot of stuff in the military. Mm-hmm. So my first job in the military, I'm not even going to tell you what it was, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't what you wanted. Which was an, I wanted to be an infantryman. Interestingly um, enough, my first job in the Navy wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, so at MEPS, when I got the bad news, I'm like, hey, man, you, you can't, you got, here's your options. I took the shortest enlistment term. At that time, it was two years and 20 weeks. <laughs> the 20 weeks was basic and AIT and then two year tour. So I took that. I got out because I, it was nothing like I thought the Army was going to be. Uh, it was horrible. But the good news is I was in Nuremberg, Germany. So, I mean, it was bearable because Germany's fun. Good beer. Yeah. Uh, just good times all over. Um, but I got out. I was out for three or four years. During that time, I was just a bouncer and a bicycle messenger in Atlanta. And that was it. <laughs> Carefree lifestyle. Uh, and then I got my wife pregnant. <laughs> so now I had to start making big boy decisions. So I went back in the Army. This time I was smarter, knew, knew my way around the, the system a little better. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I was a, an infantryman. Had some trouble with the security clearance, so I didn't, I had a Ranger Battalion contract and didn't didn't get that because you got to have clearance. Ended up going eighty second. Spent almost almost nine years in eighty second. Uh, went to my first deployment. I got my security clearance while I was deployed. Like all the, all the admin stuff was still happening in the background. Um, I came back to my security clearance being approved. Within a month of being back from Afghanistan on my first trip, I was in the Q course. Uh, so that was it. After that, and I'm 16 plus years in SF with 10th group. Now, not yeah. everybody that's going to hear this knows what all this means. So 82nd. A second airborne, airborne. yeah, that's the that's smoke the, smoke jumpers with guns, the, yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous, AA. There you go. Also known as All American, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a massive division, massive division, yeah. three brigades of parachute, you know, troopers. Uh, and the army, by the way, they administer airborne training for all the services. Army owns parachuting, so like. Ranger goes to Army Jump School. 82nd goes to Army Jump School. SEALs yeah. go to Army Jump School. Now, these days. Special boat units go to Army Jump School. Yeah. These days, that's a little different. I think the Navy now has 
a jump school. That would be after for my time. Yeah, that would be well. They have they have advanced training for for them, but as far as qualifying them initially, yeah, I think at least in my day, yeah. everybody went to bragging. I think one of my buddies who who's a seal. I think uh, the Navy ended up getting their own static line because one, it's unpleasant. It's not that the school's hard and unbearable and all that. You got to yeah. run a lot, and it's yeah. but it, they're sending hundreds of people through school week after, like, and it's a two week school or three week school. It's just constantly well, turning. So much has changed. You know, when I was there, the special <clears throat> bow units was one of the places I was at. That was a that was an add on to the SEAL team. Right, right. right. Well, those are teams themselves. Yep. Now they're full career path yep. by themselves nowadays. Yep. And it wasn't that way then. Yep. And then uh, SF, when you say SF, that's special forces. Yeah. Yeah. Which special is forces. Green Berets. Green Berets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I had an uncle. Um, I never met him, but in my household coming up, I was born in 1972. Um, he was killed in 1967. However, you can imagine growing up, like they had this big giant picture of him up on the wall and he was wearing his green beret and he had his uh, aviator sunglasses on. And I, it was one of the things that I just looked up when I was a kid and was like, oh, I want to be that dude. <laughs> and fortunately, his name was uh, Jim, his name was James Gordon Williams, Jimmy Williams. Fortunately, he was a, he liked to take pictures. So he did three, tour, well, two and a half tours in Vietnam. And he he would always take pictures. And back in the old days, they made slideshows, you know, like the little carousel things. And when I was a kid, man, I would just sit and look through just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures of him and his team in Vietnam doing Vietnam stuff. Yeah. And and I was I was locked in, man. Like I, I had to have it. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And you so, retired. You had a full career. Yeah, twenty five years. Yep. Yep. Twenty five long retired years. E eight master sergeant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of strategic. Uh, one, well, you know, I didn't have like a charmed career or anything by any means. Um, but I retired as a team sergeant, and that's the way I planned it. So, <laughs> and I got almost four years of team sergeant time, which is kind of unheard of. A little bit worth it, though, right? Yeah, that's, that was split up amongst two different tours. So I ended up doing company operation sergeant twice, which anything to stay out of like the, the S shop, the, the battalion, because <laughs> you're still down on the. That's yeah, it's E eight is the last place you're doing the work. You not, know, what I mean? not quite an office job yet. No, it's not yet. Right, E eight's the last place where you're still on the ground with your team. Yep. After that, it's just uh, administrative, administrative and yeah. PR and behind a desk. Yeah, or, or in and front I'm of not, a, yeah, in front of a reporter or helping out a general. Or well, something. it's just it's a lot, the bureaucracy. That's where the bureaucracy starts, uh, even at the group level and battalion level. So I don't want any part of that anyway. Uh, so I retired, uh, after 25, happy to do it. I didn't miss, I don't miss a day of it. I miss all my teammates and, and that kind of thing, the good times and doing the, doing the work. But, you know, these days there's a lot of politics in the military and I'm, I'm glad to be, be over with that. Again, he anticipates my question. I was about to turn the political corner here because we have today the most politically incorrect show yet. <laughs> we have a manufacturer of assault weapons and users of assault weapons in this room. And basically, you know, the world's trying to put us all out of business. Yeah, yeah. Really. yeah that's true. Somehow, some way, right? Any reactions? Any thoughts? Well, by politics, I'm a libertarian. Uh, so I believe everybody should own a gun. Um, even to the extent I'm going to go a little further, I follow a guy called uh, – 
armed felon or something like that. He was a felon and got his rights back through a process, you know, and now he advocates. So even then, I agree that once you paid your dues, you should be able to own, own I, I don't disagree with that. You know, the, the, guy, the guy, the felon with a gun has a choice to be a good guy or a bad guy right up to the time he faces up to somebody like Robert here who's yeah. going to convince him otherwise if he makes the wrong right. choice. And that seems to me to be a very fair well, way to do it. Well, things. check it out. Everybody has those same choices. It so ain't just that's my a point. felon or just any. Yeah, that's right. my point. So why should he? Exactly. There's no difference. And so crime's crime. Yeah. No matter what you do. If you pay your dues, you so pay It seems like a fair way to administer things. Just yep. like, you know, we all take care of, so, yeah, I'm take care of, of ourselves yeah. where it belongs to begin with. I'm kind of an absolutist on the Second Amendment. Sure. And the First Amendment and all the other amendments. Well, but there's a reason why it was the Second Amendment. No, that's right. So I'm an absolutist on that. Like, I think everybody should carry a gun every single day. Amen. I'm all and, for that. And how does a manufacturer of assault rifles deal with the idea that they want to ban assault rifles, right? What are you going to – are you going to well, become a government contractor or do you have other thoughts besides that? That's one way to do it. I guess so. I guess yeah. so if, if hopefully that day, that day never will come. And if it does, I guess we go back to manufacturing parts for the big boys. You know, uh, you know, currently, you know, what's paying the bills and what – Kickstarter the rifle side or the manufacturer and machine shops. We make parts for other companies. Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies we can't mention because of NDAs and whatnot. But uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the big boys in the country we make parts, supply parts for. And you know, and that's some of the parts we make were produced it goes into other parts and other equipments that that goes into the consumer markets. You got into doing some slide work, um, milling some slides and doing some different things like that. Matter of fact, you did my pistol, which I used the first time I ever even shot. It was on your range, and I think I got like 18 expletives thrown at me real quick because of that. Um, and, and you have to do full disclosure here because the gun conversation <laughs> thrives on details. So what pistol is this? It was a Glock 42. Glock 42. Yeah. Oh, no, it was a Glock 34. Sorry, 30, excuse yeah, me. 34. And um, I'd never – I'd. Never used it in a competition before, and um, Edgar was not happy with uh, um, the way I would rack the slide after I dropped the mag. <laughs> um, and then I had to use a bigger slide, or uh, yeah, slide button. I had to put a bigger slide button in there because my f- hands are big, and I kept missing it, hitting the side. But um, yeah, Edgar, Edgar gets his point across, and he's a fantastic. Um, illustrator of what to do wrong. I mean, right. <laughs> and um, he tells me what to do, what, what I'm doing wrong. And I actually listen to him and I go home and I practice that. So how many times you slap him? Zero times, man. I'm just a direct communicator. That's there was it. a couple of, he would push dirt at me, kick dirt at me. And, you know, I just, <laughs> <laughs> so it was all good stuff. man. Well, look, if you tell somebody something once and they, all right. Twice, like, all right. yeah. That was the day I was breaking Three down. Times, with the, come on, buddy. That's, that's don't it. make me repeat myself. <laughs> that was when I had the uh, when the heat. The, the heat was getting was me. heat stroking out. Yeah, I out was. Man, it was bad. And you said uh, Cam did slide work on it. Yeah, Cam did the slide work. Um, and uh, the gun is sexy as all get out. It it's a good performance. Um, I he, think they that's did a great first. Job. That's the first time I've ever heard a Glock and sexy as all get out in the same sentence. I think it's sexy. I think it looks damn good. Yeah. All right. you know? It does look good. Yeah, it does. All right. Yeah. Even so. Travis said he wanted to. He's like, man, I'm sold. I'm going to do this. But, uh, I think Travis did have his 43X um, cut. Yeah. I mean, I'd, but 
Now, all my clocks are the guinea pigs. So when before we cut on like your slides or anybody else's slide, I have a clock. Say, hey, Pons, test on mine first. Yeah, <laughs> if you <laughs> if you screw, first. if you screw up, I don't I don't have to replace somebody else's slide. It's my slide. It's my yeah. it's my pistol. So you can screw up mine. Yeah, well, I've been looking for a spot. I got a thirty four. I want to get an optic cut in. It's an old Gen three. You're looking right at the guy. Just tell us what well, we know. A guy. Optic you want to put, yeah. you want to put on there. We we'll cut it for you. Yeah, I'll get with you on that for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely man. do that. And and you sponsored <clears throat> his Mogadishu Mile last year with um, a coupon. I think a five hundred yep, or two hundred fifty dollars oh, right. coupon. Yeah, a Mog yeah. Mile. That's right. Yep. Uh, I think he gave us a couple of, of significant discounted two fifty and five hundred dollars. Yeah. Those guys. I hope they don't just have them sitting on their bookshelf somewhere. Well, I, I hope think they took, they got those rifles. I'm not sure if they did or not. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, usually they're, they're either called in or uh, email Misty on yeah. that one. Okay. Yeah, I didn't follow up with that to see if, if they ended up going to get the rifles, man. I don't know. Because that, that's pretty significant. <laughs> that was the number. That To me, that was like that the was number, number one. one. That was the top prize, yeah. Yeah. So our boy, you know. Yeah. Oh, Scott got, got that. Scott got that. That's right. And he's the only guy that doesn't really need a gun. Because <laughs> he's, he's good. He always needs he's a guns. SWAT officer. He always know? needs guns. Yeah, he's a government issued guns. Yeah. <laughs> now, Robert likes to shoot competitions. He's going to all these yeah. things and, and shooting. What What do you do? Fight task? No, that's shotgun. IPSC? Yeah. Yeah. GADPA and, and yeah. IDPA okay. stuff. And, and then so Edgar are you stuff. the one training him to do this? Is he doing well? Uh, c- well, yeah, kind of. I, I do competition, that, and he shot several of mine. I, so I do competitions as well. Mm-hmm. They're obviously outlaw competition. They're not sanctioned by any organization. Sure, yeah. But every year, twice a year, we do a, a, a called the OSS Challenge. So in April, it's a one day, and then in October, it's the OSS Challenge Mogadishu Mile. It's a two-day event to commemorate the, 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 that, the Battle of Somalia. Yeah. Um, I do themed – Matches throughout the year, like Fourth of July, we do the Sons of Liberty match. Uh, That's when I met you last yep, year. Yep, and then like Christmas, we do the Baby It's Cold Outside match. You know, it's just and it might be a two gun or a <laughs> pistol match or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the prizes are small. I just give away training or, or something like that. Yeah. But but the the OSS Challenge, both of those, they're sponsored by. You know, we reach out to different people and try to get prizes and stuff. Crate Tactical. Uh, always, they're always there for me. So they, you know, steel, they, we give away steel targets and stuff. Okay. Salty Britches always sponsors me. I don't know if you know those guys, yeah. but they make a chafe, chafe cream for like, and they got a SOCOM contract, but for ultra runners and like, you know, Navy SEAL type, it's good for that kind of stuff. So they always sponsor. And, uh, and then, and he got us last year. Um, October's coming up, buddy. I'd, uh, reach out to October's Misty. October's coming up, yeah. yeah. Reach out to Misty. Uh, she, right around the corner. Yeah, she she pretty much uh, runs the show down there. I mean, yeah. She she keeps us in line. Yeah. Do you do uh, apple seed or anything like that? No. I shoot – personally, I shoot uh, IDPA, um, normally in a carry optics. Uh, I, I haven't been – I ain't ranked in IDPA because chasing matches is a full-time job in itself, and I ain't got time to chase matches. But I, I go out and shoot competition to – so that people understand that I'm not just some dude. Right. I'm out shooting. Set yourself up as an expert. Well, I believe yeah, right. I've heard you say, Edgar, that one of the problems that you have with competition shooting is when you've shot for real and you've you've shot at people that are shooting back at you and you've done tactical work for real, 
that you just kind of shake your head about all the rules and regulations. Yeah, well, not, not really, but there are some like that are significantly flip-flops. So. Like when you got to run with your weapon pointed down range, but you may be running up range. Yeah. So that, but it depends on the game. You play whatever game you're playing. Uh, I think competition is important for defensive shooting or offensive if you're a military or, or SWAT type guy. Yeah. Because that's competition shooting is closer, closer replicates real life engagements than NRA shooting at a, a mm. bullseye yeah, target right. or whatever. <laughs> bullseye shooting for learning. Because you're under time and you, and you have to manipulate on the move or, or, or whatever, behind cut, whatever it is. Any competition better replicates doing nothing real engagements than hey take your time breathe pull the trigger slow that's just not real stuff right they teach it now that's, they, that's marksmanship it's not practical shooting. right that's right it's it's bullseye marksmanship so i believe santa claus got you one of those red dot dry fire um cartridges. that's right santa got me yeah. one dry firing is critical yeah and with that you get feedback if you're just dry firing against the wall you have to hold yourself accountable if you got some and all these little, uh, what was that one called? Ain't, uh, what's, I forget Ain't the name. Point? Is that uh, Ain't I forget point? the name. Uh, there's that one. There's I got a system that's called Smokeless Range. And that's a that's a good one because it's automated video, right? And you can set up your own course of fire or there's videos of situational things. So you're uh, moving. So that's like dry fire on steroids. Yeah. It's an airsoft gun but with a laser. So – you get feedback. I'm in, the, I'm in the shotgun world, and uh, they have a thing. It's like those virtual golf courses, you know, where you get yeah, hit the ball exactly and you can I'm see where, you know. Yep. So they put the video of the target flying up there, and when you pull the trigger, it puts a laser up there and records where you were, yep. whether it's a hit or a miss or whatever. Yep. You know? That's how, that's how the – It's an uh, interesting thing. Yeah. Now, Randy, you are a pretty um, well-to-do shotgun shooter champion. What did you win? Uh, well-to-do implies – Greater wealth than I possess. Okay. <laughs> because I spent it all on shotguns. <laughs> he, he's an accomplished All those Benelli. <laughs> well, look, man, those shotguns, uh, there's some like what, what? $25,000 shotguns floating around. The Benelli's no, 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 and no, some no. of those. <laughs> one, of, one of my friends who lives back here by my house just got one up for sale right now. He's looking for 65 on it. It's oh, not even God. a well-known brand. I mean, shotguns can get silly yeah. expensive. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gary, my friend, is a former U.S. team shooter, and we go out on the weekends. We do all our training, and he brings a $75,000 Boss hammer gun every weekend, shoots it for practice. Hammer gun, built in 1882. I don't even drive a $75,000 car. (laughs) It looks beautiful. It looks brand new. Uh, But uh, listen, the shotgun world is crazy. It's it's crazy. I will say at one of the events I went to, they had a four-bore rifle on a table, you know, leather case, big African, you know, an uh, elephant gun. Yeah. It shoots a solid slug about that big around. Looks like looks like a super like a like a four gauge shotgun, but it's it's a rifle. And the engraving on this thing was so fine that it looked like they'd printed a photo onto the receiver, right? And uh, so I was like, "Can I look?" He's like, "Yeah, do whatever you want," you know. So I played with it a little bit. And it was nice. I put it back on the table. And I was like, "What's the what's the price on this?" He says, "Our ask on this is two fifty." Laying on a table under a tent at a at a competition. Madness. Madness. Yeah. But it sure was nice to look at. Hey, man. <laughs> and that's uh, not 250 
That's 250,000. Yeah, 250K. That's right, 250K. So where did you learn to shoot shotguns? You're in the Navy. Uh, my dad was a upland hunter when I was growing up, so we did a lot of dove hunting, and I got to go on occasional pheasant or quail or whatever like that. And then uh, in the Navy, because I was very familiar with the 12-gauge pump shotgun, that was my weapon of choice for board and search and stuff like that. And uh, so post-Navy – after the Navy, I discovered skeet and then later sporting clays, and that was just so much fun. I just stuck with it and kept working and got a little coaching here and there and practiced and put 10,000 rounds a year down when I started competing, right? 10,000 rounds down the barrel every year because that's what you got to do. And uh, so that's how it happened. Yeah. And, I, and my own personal weirdness is I really like the side-by-side shotgun. So when I compete, I compete with an old W.C. Scott London gun from 1882. And uh, it's a side by side, but it wor- it works just like the rest. National champion? Were you a national champion? So uh, what you're referring to in '19, I went to the Vintage Cup and won the world side by side ten gauge hammer division. Wow! I'm, I'm a warthog. I like the big ten stuff. Gauge. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I like artillery. <laughs> Should have been in the army. <laughs> although although the army's guns aren't as big as the navy's guns, yeah. so I don't know why yeah, I would say that. Close. <laughs> so shot so shotguns in the gun world in my view is like golf in the sports world yeah that's where the luxury is at so yeah. are golfers mm-hmm. athletes edgar of course they are yeah so, so, I, so I are shooters to, so i have to Absolutely. redeem myself for edgar now i also took the, the colt course and got qualified as an armor so i built my own ar and my nice. own 1911 so there you go Very good. they're pretty neat guns so when you need somebody awesome. this guy can they're, they're, they're pretty neat guns they work they work as designed start a shotgun yeah. Division. But so this leads to an interesting question then. Because um, <laughs> being in the shotgun world, you know, this is sport shooting, right? Yep. It's like you say, this is mm-hmm. golf. And there's a there's a division of there's a group of guys in this in these competitions that like because they use side by sides instead of modern guns and they're dressed, you know, they put the tie on, yep. little British yep. caps on, and they have a good time with it, right? Yep. So so this is not what you'd call practical shooting, right? No, right. Yeah. It's fun. It's heritage gunning. Yep. So if I wanted to uh, do some practical shooting type competitions like you guys do. I guess I could come to you and get some training and like really learn how to utilize the AR or the, or the pistol in a tactical environment. Right. Right. Yeah, there's nothing course. tactical about sporting clays. Nope. Um, well, there's nothing tactical about practical shooting either. Yeah. Tactical is an application. Right. Shooting is shooting. Um, yep. So yeah, of course I do private sessions. I do, I do women's only courses. I do youth uh, courses. I do, and then, and then, kind of the catalog is practical pistol, practical or rifle, dynamic pistol, dynamic rifle, dynamic two gun. Then I got like an everyday carry course that it's pistol, obviously, but it's focused on concealability and and environment uh, kind of stuff. What else I got? A million of them. I I, I don't even know my own catalog. <laughs> but so, so the bottom line is. There's lots of training available for you. Yeah, tons of it. And I'm happy. And, and I, in fact, I like doing like custom courses for different groups. Sometimes I have groups, uh, speaking of salty britches, they came down once a, a bunch of ladies came down and they wanted to, it was a fun week. They did like an Airbnb and they went out in sh- North Georgia hiking and they went shopping and then they wanted to do a day of shooting. Mm. So obviously I was a little less, uh, uh, uh um, what's the word I'm looking for? Abrasive, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You were nice, with, you were nice to the kids right. and the women. So they had the fun, and we were we, you weren't we did kicking dirt nice at them, right? I didn't kick dirt at them. <laughs> uh, it was so uh, you know cut. So I paired it to their skill set, and, yeah. and they got a lot out of it. 
it wasn't just a bullcrap day to go sh- put rounds down range. They learned. Right. Yeah. But they learned at a, at a, they can do that anywhere at right? a pace. Now, what do you was, do, Edgar, for those folks who don't own firearms, rifles or pistols? Do you provide them? Yeah, with- of course. I got, yeah, I got a little arsenal of, uh, Glock 19s and, and real basic AR 15s that, yeah. cause I do have a lot of people that are looking somewhere to learn. Yeah. But they're nervous about buying a gun because they don't know what to look for or, or whatever. So they come out, get the loud noises and everything out of the way, understand that it's not a death machine, depending, depending on what you're using it for. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and then, uh, yeah. So, and then, and I also, man, I have tons of customers. Hey, Edgar, can you go to the gun shop with me? I'm going to go buy a gun. And I, I'm happy to go. Well, maybe you could have some test Lanzang Light 42s lying around. I would love to do that. Here, here we are, making sell. deals, yeah. making connections See, today. That's what I, I do. I would love to do that. Because if those people shoot Cam's guns, mm-hmm. they're going to shoot better. They're going to like gonna the way it better. feels. They're going to love it, yeah. I'm serious. You think I'm joking, but well, that's I hear the you. truth. Well, I'm going I'm to name the name of the rifles that I have, but there was an emerging deal with them Yeah, that didn't happen, so... Okay. I'm not beholden to any, so the door is open. <laughs> any brand. Cam, the door is open. Yeah. Hey, I'd have and they weren't local either. Um, I'm a big local dude. I like to buy local, uh, yeah. support local, et cetera, et cetera. Feed the community. So I'd far rather work with a, a local company than a Texas company. or a Sure. In, in, our, in our shotgun world, we, we are very serious about introducing people the right way. Right, because yeah. the more fun they have and the better they do yeah, up absolutely, front. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Right, and you know, I'm no trainer. Right, I mean, I I have Navy training background, but I'm not I'm not a coach. I don't yeah, really yeah. know what I'm doing. But I will always, somebody wants to shoot, I'll take them to the range. I'll, I'll always front them the first day, absolutely, first range yeah. feed and the ammo, and you know, and start them off the right way, and make sure they're hitting targets and having yeah. a good time and learning how to use the weapon yeah. properly. Right. And so, in a training environment, you want to be be sure to do that. Have them start on good gear, right? Not yeah, on some absolutely. Not on some Sears and Roebuck gun, right? Yeah, you know. right. it's very important how you get the new shooters, yeah, their first experience. Because otherwise, it's intimidating, loud, and right. annoying, and they go home unhappy and sweaty. And that's because exactly my right. goal is to grow the community, whether they want a competition or or whatever. And it doesn't matter. And in our world, we're very intent on getting women involved because with the women come their boyfriends, their husbands, and their kids. Uh, you know, in, in the shotgun world, people really are looking at it like women are the well, growth of the sport. For and the that is the – over the past, I don't know, five years it's or so, part of women that. have been the fastest yeah. growing demographic. See, this, this is our politically correct segment of this show. So, but it's it, the truth. <laughs> I'm a licensed uh, instructor, NRA instructor, pistol and rifle. And whenever I've done any courses or assisted with any courses, at least 50% of those classes are women. Hmm. Yeah. And so when you ask the question, why are you here, a lot of it is, well – I live by myself or I live right. in a city yep. and I'm scared and I want to know how to defend myself against people like, you know, bigger predator types of folks. Um, so yeah, women, if you can get to that block, that's going to be real important. Yep. No, it's very important. And and with that, everybody has different learning styles, not just men and women, but individually people learn differently. So if you do the same thing over and over, some people get it, some people don't. So I kind of mix up my training style as well. Sometimes there's a, some, a heavy classroom portion. Sometimes there's a lot of hands-on in the classroom with the, and, and then sometimes it's jump right into the range and start start doing things. Uh, so there's different 
Now, I'm by no means an ap- academic, but I've taken uh, a couple of courses, and I, I think I understand how to train as an instructor, how to be an instructor and effectively, effectively deliver. You of know. all the people that I've trained with, Edgar, you are probably – you go further into depth. I mean you're right there on the left or the right, and you are constantly giving the student um, feedback, yeah. immediate feedback, you know. And usually it's positive. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Robert's not the only. I mean, that's your reputation in the market too. He's not the only person I've heard that from. So yeah, awesome. yeah. Sweet. Well, it's like Lansing rifles. You know, you want the best shooting rifle. Uh, <laughs> and I've sold some of your rifles to some of my friends. And you know, you pull the trigger, it goes bang, and it and it hits what it's going to hit. Yeah. So yeah. Cam, I don't want to get away from this this session without you explaining your the red elephant. On your hat. Uh, I love this story. All right. Uh, well, you know, Lansang, or Lansang, uh, <laughs> in, in Laos, it means one million elephants. You know, uh, for centuries, uh, Laos was known as the, the land of the million elephants. You know, uh, and when, uh, when I applied for the uh, FFL license, I was kind of got caught off guard at the uh, ATF agents. So uh, we're, we're wrapping up your interview. Uh, what are you calling your company? I was like, oh, damn, I never thought about that far. I was <laughs> trying to get a license first. Uh, so first thing that popped in my head, I was like, well, Lansak Tactical sounds pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, is like, the, like I say, it's the land of million elephants. For centuries, It was the, that's what Laos was known at, uh, as and until, of course, the uh, – the, you know, the country fell to the communism, and the, when the communists took over, you know, if you, uh, if you go back to pre-1960, the Laos flag is a three-headed elephant, uh, not this whatever blue, red, and white with the moon in the center. I mean, that's that's just a communist thing. Yeah. You know, uh, a, a lot of us, you know, not to get political, but a lot of us, a lot of us don't recognize that flag. You know, we're still... Recognized the other three-headed elephant as the national flag of Laos. Mm. So, uh, if I was to go in there, if I was to go back to Laos today and start, you know, saying Lansang this, Lansang that, chances are I'll, I'll get my ass kicked or jail <laughs> or <laughs> you know, so, wow, because it's referring to the old, yeah. yes, yeah. The, the old, uh, you know, regime, I guess. Yeah, the old regime. I love the hat. I'm a hat guy. You see all the hats in the yeah. studio. That's from businesses around Cherokee County. I, I love wow. your hat. Well, I'll have to uh, bring you one or mail you one. All right, man. I'll wear it. I'll hang it in the studio. It looks great. It does. The logo's sweet. I'm so I appreciate the art. Uh, I do all my own art and all my own logos and all that. And that that's a really that's a good one. Isn't that's it? a cool logo. It is. Yeah. It really. Is. And there's like, a story behind it. Now, <clears throat> yep. now in the guitar world, they have an amplifier called Bad Cat. And the Bad Cats, when you turn them on. And the lights come on on the control panel. The two eyes on the cat light up too. Oh, that's <laughs> kind of cool. That's There's cool. an idea for you. I think I've seen that some. And some of you, you did a video. I don't know who did it. Of uh, Travis had it done. Yeah, we 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 added the the green eye just because Travis like, well, you know, the night vision screen. We just, we just make the eye screen. Yeah. yeah. And and actually, I think you do know who did that video. Did you do the video, or did Michael do Be- it? Michael did that. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. And, yeah, it's a cool logo. Yeah, when uh, when I when I've uh, applied for the trademark on the uh, on the logo, you, you guys never guess who challenged it. Who? It's 
probably an attorney on payroll that has that probably just like, hey, you know what? Um, I need to earn my paycheck for this year, and let me challenge this trademark. It was the attorney for the Oakland A's. What? Yeah, you you would think based on based, well, based on the way that my logo looked, you <clears throat> think University of Alabama would be yeah. the first one to pop in right, right. right? Uh, no, it was the Oakland A's. Hmm. Which oh, makes no sense. Yeah, it, 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 there's probably a backstory. There's probably a connection somehow. Uh, well, ba- ba- back in the twenties, communist Chinese yeah. money in the back. <laughs> yeah. of, well, tonight they are from California. Yeah, uh, there you go. My schedule for tonight is Moneyball. I was going to watch Moneyball tonight. It's about the Oakland A's. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, the, yeah, the, the guy just, you know, the attorney calls like, yeah, well, you, you got one company that's challenging your logo hmm. to be trademarked. And, and the challenge was based on what? Uh, back in the 20s and 30s, Oakland A's had a cartoonish elephant standing on a baseball, holding a baseball pad in a, on his trunk. Hmm. That, uh, 70 and, years ago. Yep. Yeah, and based on their, uh, their petitions that, of we're not allowed to use an, an elephant mm. as our company Get logo, and I'm and, and that's so uh, here I am on on the internet Google. <laughs> yeah. there, there, there's about 500 companies with elephants yeah. as their logo. I don't think Oakland has the. I don't lockdown think that's going to survive. I don't think the nah. challenge will survive. Uh-huh. On that. Well, Never seen an elephant in Oakland. <laughs> well, uh, so we went back and forth a few times, and so I said, like, "Well, you know, uh, one million elephants. You now my country's been known there for centuries, thousands of years prior to the Oakland A's ever come to existence." You know, it's like uh, my country's been known for the elephants before, you know, the colonies moved. Uh, yeah, co- before California US. existed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, so I, I, I should have some leeway here. So after, uh, you know, a few months of back and forth, it's like, well, if you sign off on this, that you will not get into major league sports. <laughs> but, well, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so all this just cost me $12,000, but okay. Oh, man. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a nice hat. It's a great yeah, logo. Apparently, we'll get that you guy generated some billings, you know, from the A's and oh, yeah. made it all work. You know, he, he made some money. So, absolutely, <laughs> that was his job, right? Man, unreal. Well, we've had a we've had a good time with you guys, and it's great that y'all came out and spent you, spent half a day here with us. And uh, um, would love to give Lanzang, you know, all the props for my shooting abilities. That's for sure. Um, and then get some some of your rifles Such out there to Edgar. Be. Such as they are. <laughs> Such as they are. And um, we certainly appreciate you guys coming. And uh, y'all have done a, a bunch of stuff for me. That's for dang sure. Yeah, appreciate it. Any parting thoughts uh, for the world on assault rifles or firearms training or anything else? Oh, there's no such thing as assault rifle. That's, yeah, right. that's a made-up word. Yeah. Yeah, uh, everything could be an assault. Yeah, assault hammer. Yeah, assault pen. It could be an assault phone if I hit you with it. Yeah, there you go. Can't, uh, can't disagree with that. Just want to plug my Osprey Shooting Solutions dot com. Check my website out, and also Southern Ornithological League. The URL there is two teamguys dot com. That's with the number two. Uh, once again, that is mostly private, but there's some public pages you can look at to get a taste. So check those out if you're interested in some unique training. Okay. And how do they find Lanzang if they're interested in you guys? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Lanzang Tactical. Uh, on Spell it. L-A-N-X-A-N-G. There we go. Now they can find you. Lanzang, not Lanzang. I'm going to have to change it. I'm going to have to practice that. Lanzang. I that wrong. If uh, any other questions, just give Miss D at the shop a call, and she'll gladly help you, everybody out. 
And if you think Cam's tough, Misty's tougher. She is. <laughs> yeah. She is. And so is Nick and so is Travis. Yeah, Travis, all those guys. Yeah, and then, of course, I forgot about Ryan. So I, I got the Ryan English name in there, you know, before uh, he calls me up and gets mad. And didn't throw his like, name I was listening. You didn't even yeah. say my name. So Ryan is a former scout sniper. And, you know, of course, he uh, he does a lot of stuff for us. So. He's a Marine Corps. So, man, we've got yeah. it all covered here. Yeah. It's, well, look, outside the Navy, the military – are still they're still honorable careers. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming in, guys. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks. Great so conversation. Much. Appreciate it. Thank you.